the house that we're looking at now is $4 million. So his down payment would be about a million and go for whatever, 75% LTV. And the house that we're looking at with that payment and all and the taxes is somewhere around $12,000 a month. So now for $4,000 a month, he has a house. So what are we going to do with the house? We're going to Airbnb the house. And that house, which is a $4 million house on the water with a pool, right? On the intercoastal in Miami, could be airbnb for $1,500 a day minimum. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth season of Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. Real estate investing is not rocket science, but it's not a fairy tale either. It's an incredible investment vehicle that builds and grows wealth. I have done it, and this is why so many of the wealthiest people in America and in the world, actually, invest in real estate as well. Listen in every week to learn about all the different real estate asset classes, which strategies experienced and successful investors use to live their best lives, and the processes to do it. Don't reinvent the wheel. Just listen in every week to grow your knowledge along with me and to move your finances to a place where you can live an extraordinary life. This show is sponsored by my company, Blue Lake Capital, where we help passive investors grow their wealth through large multifamily investments and funds. To learn more about my company and invest in with me, visit www.bluelake-capital.com. Welcome to Ready to Scale Season 4. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman, broadcasting from sunny and beautiful California. Today on the show, I have a really interesting guest, and he's going to talk about ultra-luxury real estate, which we haven't really talked about before. His name is Sean Elliott. He's right here with me. A little bit about Sean. He's the managing director at Nest Seekers International Ultra Luxury Division. And, you know, that's an interesting piece of information about Sean. He was hired to list the most expensive home in St. Barts for $80 million. That's an interesting house. And I think I, I would probably like to see some pictures of that house. He's one of the most respected and sought after experts in the ultra luxury real estate industry with over $5 billion in sales. He's very active across the board. He's flying around. We just had a conversation about how he spent five days here in LA. He's residing in New York, but his markets are mainly New York, Beverly Hills, Palm Beach, and London. And interestingly enough about Nest Seekers, this company has two hit television series in Bravo, Million Dollar Listing and Netflix, Million Dollar Beach House. Without further ado, I want to welcome Sean to the show. Hey, Sean, very glad to have you here today. So nice to be here too, Ellie, and I appreciate you asking me to jump on this podcast. But I wouldn't be doing a good job as president of Nest Seekers if I didn't tell you about all of our TV shows. So we are also I have a new show and it's on Discovery Plus, which is now HBO called Selling the Hamptons. Selling New York was our first step into the, I guess you call it unscripted, you know, reality TV. And then came selling California or selling LA. Since then you've got selling Sunset and selling New York and selling Hamptons and just so much selling going on between Bravo and Netflix and Discovery Plus. But that space alone is really interesting. And we are the producers of right now of several shows. 
and we have more to come. And, and that's been really great for all of us as TV leads to opportunity. People see you on television and they want to do business with you as long as you're a good character and not an evil character, right? So the fun shows that you can watch today that I'm on is I'm on this season's Real Housewives of Miami. And that is on Peacock, which is NBC. And that was a lot of fun working with the Housewives. I had never done that before. And that was great. Selling the Hamptons, which is Discovery Plus. And also LA Selling Sunset. Actually, five episodes in season two. And all this stuff leads to the craziest opportunities in the world, including I did one show in London called The World's Most Luxurious. And it was an interesting show. It was about the world's most luxurious trains, which I didn't even know they had luxury trains. Most luxurious planes, which of course we get that, 747 BBJs, right? Gulf streams, what have you. Most luxurious resorts, most luxurious yachts, which we all know are ultra luxurious. And the show that got the best ratings was the world's most luxurious homes. And I can't wait to send you a clip of that. It's 45 minutes uninterrupted. It aired only in Europe, it started in the UK, went through syndication. As a result, that $80 million listing you're talking about, I got because a baroness and a lord from the House of Lords reached out to me by email and said, hey, are you the guy from the property show last night? And I said, yes. And they returned an email with five properties, anywhere from 20 million euro to 70 million euro, one of them being that $80 million villa known as Neo in St. Bart. So all good things. That's amazing. And I've watched Selling Sunset and it's, I mean, it's pretty interesting and there's very, very inspiring and beautiful homes on that show. So congrats for all, you know, your success. That's, that's really exciting. It's interesting to be, especially when you're in the luxury real estate industry, to be on TV, that gives you the exposure to the right clientele. Can you share with us, Sean, you know, how did you end up being involved with luxury real estate, with luxury, you know, homes? So I was the guy 20 years ago that you'd find at an open house on Sunday and the brokers from Sotheby's and Christie's would point at me and go, you see that guy? He's never buying a house. He's just a looker. <laughs> He's never going to buy. And the truth of the matter is when I bought my first house, and this is 20 years ago, and it was about a million dollars 20 years ago, I was 38 years old and was a lot of money back then. I watched at the closing, the real estate broker get a check for about $50,000. And this is, I don't know, let's see, 1994. I don't know. What is that? 34 years, whatever it is, 38 years ago. No, 28 years ago. I bought my home and it stuck with me. Like here I'm buying this house for a million dollars and the real estate agent's getting a check for 50 grand. And again, this is 1994. So that it stuck with me forever. I was in fashion before I was in real estate. And the brand that I was with, I went from zero to hero overnight. It was a brand <laughs> called United Colors of Benetton, which you probably never heard of, but we had 7,000 stores worldwide. I only owned 14 in New York. And as fast as I went from zero to hero, I went from here to zero and had to reinvent myself. And again, having a passion for beautiful homes and being that guy that you'd find with the Sunday open houses and that check that just left a mark in my brain for 50K, I decided to give it a shot. And I went to work for Douglas Elliman in the Oyster Bay, Long Island, Gold Coast of New York. I was the number one producer in that region the first year. 
And I enjoyed every single minute of every single day in retail or in fashion. You own the inventory. You got to pay for it in 30 days or 60 days or 90 days. I brought everything in from Europe. You have to pay customs. So here I don't own anything, right? I've got billions of dollars worth of merchandise on MLS that I have the privilege of selling. And if I put two people together and I connect the dots, I earn a commission. And I was like, this is insane. You're telling me at my first house, I sold for $1.6 million in Laurel Hollow, Springwood Path, number six. This is 20 years ago. And I got a check. I think back then it was 2% of the buyer's agent, $32,000. I split 50% with it with Douglas Elliman. And I was like, this is the easiest money I ever made in my life. Mm-hmm. It was just an incredible feeling. And it became like a drug. It became like addicting. I don't do drugs. I've never done drugs in my life. I'm not a, that guy. And, but like this was like an addiction. It became a habit. And then I got addicted to it 20 years later. I'm still addicted. I mean, it is fascinating to see, you know, luxury homes. I think for me, at least when I started and we had nothing back then, it was very inspiring. You know, I used to watch those shows and be inspired and say, hey, you know what? One day you can get there. And I think a lot of people use that as an inspiration. I never brought myself to walk, you know, to an open house. You know, I didn't want to be pointed out, like you mentioned earlier, and say, oh, this this is the person who's never going to buy. But I enjoyed seeing it on TV and being inspired, for sure. So when we're talking about, you know, ultra-luxury homes, what do you think is the one thing that many people don't know about luxury real estate or maybe a very common misconception that you keep seeing over and over when it comes to luxury real estate? So luxury has many different definitions, right? And luxury could mean something in one market and something completely different in another market. And I think luxury truly means something that is amenity driven so that whether it's a single family house or you're living in a at 432 Park or 220 Central Park South in New York City, which is a many-driven building, or you're buying a property in St. Bart's, which is luxury, or you're buying a property in Palm Beach, for that matter. I think amenities have a lot to do with it. Location, of course, being proximity in those climates to the ocean, right, to the bay. Amenity-driven meaning having amenities like swimming pools and tennis courts Mm -hmm. and pool houses and movie theaters and world-class spas, massage rooms, that's luxury, right? And it's a feeling that you get as well, right? And again, depending upon the market you're in, it changes at every price range, right? Because you could spend a million dollars in North Carolina and believe it or not, you're buying a luxury home. You try to buy a million dollar house in Beverly Hills, it doesn't even exist. I can't even sell you a bedroom in Beverly Hills for a million dollars. Unfortunately, yeah, I'm here and I can tell that the market is absolutely crazy. I mean, if you got to live here or understand the market to really know what's going on, but anything luxury probably goes, you know, millions of dollars, if not tens of millions of dollars, if you're truly looking at, you know, luxury and probably a view is is also one of them, you know, in different, even strong neighborhoods in Los Angeles, there are some neighborhoods with flat you know, lots where you can build a house or buy a house and there's no view. But then if you go even a mile out, there are all those luxury homes on the cliff that are challenging to build and it takes forever to get permits because of the way they're laid out. But they have an amazing view and, you know, they have a view of the ocean, view of the entire city, the entire neighborhood underneath. And so that's, yeah, I guess for me, luxury definitely includes 
you know, the view. The view. It's 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 a it's a big component. Yeah, just and yet I heard you just day. bought yeah. a piece of land in the Pacific Palisades with no view. So I don't yeah. get it. If that's yeah. luxury to you, and the reason why to me the view is so important is because, like you, you know, I work seven days a week. Again, to me, it's not work. I love every minute of every day, but there is a time during the day that you need to decompress and. Yes the view properties become like a decompression chamber, right? <laughs> and that you're sitting yeah. on a lounge chair, maybe by your pool, and you're looking at downtown LA, and the helicopters are going over, like kind of like on par with your eyesight, and you're like drinking a martini or maybe your favorite glass of wine. So, you know, that's luxury, right? And that's yep. your decompression chamber. So I want to sell the house that you're building before you finish it. And then I want to sell you another house with a view. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't thinking about living in a luxurious, you know, house. And well, maybe maybe a few years down the road, I'm not there yet in terms of what you know I'm looking for. What would you say was the biggest challenges you ran into and had to deal with throughout your career in you know selling luxury homes? So that's a great question, and to me, and this is not at all patting myself on the back or being cocky in any way. But I haven't really felt that challenged. Right now, the biggest challenge is to be one of the top 10 agents in all the markets that I'm in. So my goal for 2023 and 2024, by the end of 24, is to be a top 10 agent in Palm Beach, a top 10 agent in Miami Beach, top 10 agent in Bel Air, Beverly Hills, New York City, the Hamptons. You know, I don't expect to be top 10 in Europe or in London or up and down the Italian or French Riviera where we practice, but that's my goal. The challenge is, you know, all I can say is, and I apologize, I don't have a great answer for that because I haven't found it that challenging. When I owned my own company and I sold my company four years ago, the challenge was running a company. I found that very challenging. And I don't even think I was even that good at it, to be honest. You know, I was more of a boots on the ground kind of guy. Dying to be at your kitchen table and discussing with you why you should list your house with my firm or taking you on a property tour and telling you why you need to buy this $25 million house. So my biggest challenge in the real estate business over the 20 years was running a company. I never liked running a company, but I did enjoy the journey. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the journey is is definitely a big part of it. If you know how to enjoy it, then you figured it all out because- the journey can be challenging and it can be daunting sometimes and there's ups and downs. But yeah, you know, when it comes to luxury. I think most people would see it as something that it's a splurge and you spend, but you're not really investing in it. And there's no there's no value when it comes to building wealth and that's kind of part of our discussion around process of how you build generational wealth with luxury homes. And, you know, I'm probably, you know, probably a lot of listeners that are listening to us right now, they invest in real estate and probably also in the stock market and with other and with startups. And they may think, you know what, that's all nice. You know, there's luxury real estate, but why would I spend money, you know, on a luxury home where I, I can basically invest it. I want to build generational wealth. A lot of families, a lot of investors are pretty much, you know, involved or concerned about how do I build generational wealth for 
for my children, for my family? What are your thoughts around kind of the first steps or how can you build generational wealth with luxury real estate? So there's single family luxury real estate. There's multifamily luxury real estate. There's vertical living, right? I used to have an apartment in a building on Santa Monica Boulevard called 10,000. I don't know if you're familiar with the building. It's the big black glass building sitting next to the peninsula. And I lived there for three years. And I got great ideas. That's some cash machine. Imagine, you know, let's say there's 400 apartments in there and the average rent is, you know, $10,000 per month. You do the math and tell me what the rent roll is. They paid like something like $29 or $30 million for that lot. Probably no more than $200 a square foot to build that place. I don't know how many, you know, square feet it is, but do the math. That thing is sending like a double digit return every single month. That's a cash cow. And that's unique. But the people that were involved in that transaction go back to Donald Sterling. He was the original owner of that property. I don't know if you know the Kukorians, but the Kukorians built Las Vegas, the MGM Grand, New York, New York, Circus Circus. That was an amazing play. And rental income is generational, right? Rental income is passive and rental is annuity. So there's no question in my mind. The other big craze now is buying these amazing single family ultra luxury homes and VRBO or you know Airbnb. It's huge. And I have the coolest one going on right now. I have a client who's in Florida and I'm licensed in Florida. If I didn't mention I'm licensed in New York, Florida, California, and Connecticut. And they have a yacht charter business, right? And that's a great business, by the way. You could buy a great boat. And that's a few years old because they depreciate like crazy. Remember, never buy boats or planes. Never knew anyway. And I have a joke that goes along with that, but I'm not going to share it with you. But his boat is docked right in front of the Fountain Blue in Miami on the 50-yard line, right? And he's paying $8,000 a month for the boat slip. So if you want to go out and take out this 80-foot boat for the day for you, your friends, your family, it's about $5,000 for the day maybe $6,000 for the day. That's with the captain, you hire a chef, you bring in food from Joe's, stone crabs, whatever it is, you make it great. And he's paying $8,000 a month. Now, when he told me that recently, I have a big birthday coming up and we actually made charge of his boat. And I said, that's crazy, $8,000 a month. I go, why don't you buy a house with a dock in Miami in the backyard, right? Now, what is $8,000 a month buy you in a mortgage? You can borrow close to $3 million interest only for $8,000 a month. Forget about taxes. And then the house that we're looking at now is $4 million. So his down payment would be about a million and go for whatever, 75% LTV. And the house that we're looking at with that payment and all and the taxes is somewhere around $12,000 a month. So now for $4,000 a month, he has a house. So what are we going to do with the house? We're going to Airbnb the house. And that house, which is a $4 million house on the water with a pool, right, on the intercoastal in Miami, could be airbnb for $1,500 a day minimum, okay? Rent that thing out, I mean, 20 days a month, you do the math, it's $30,000 a month. So for $4,000, you're making $26,000 a month times 12 you're making over $300,000 a year when you were losing $8,000 a month docking your boat across the fountain blue. So there's so many interesting ways to make money, right? I mean, I never thought of that one. It just kind of hit me when he was telling me how much he was paying for rent for the dock or for whatever the docking fee. So single family Airbnb VRBOs, very popular, big numbers. I've rented houses for 25,000 a day, $50,000 a day. 
Hamptons houses last year, we did a rental for $1.2 million for July and August, just for two months. And the Hamptons is a great place to do that. So single family, you don't have to call it Airbnb or VRBO. You could just rent out your house. There's a lot of money to be made in that. And then, you know, you can enjoy the house yourself at the same time. And then in a perfect world, as you're paying off the mortgage and in a perfect world, as hopefully as you know, time goes on, the house has appreciation. You pay off the mortgage, you have an asset, you own outright, you continue to rent it out or what have you. And that's generational wealth. And there are people that are doing this. There are guys that are doing Airbnb and VRBO right now that have, you know, north of 30 properties, 40 properties, 50 properties. Crazy. Wow. So they basically make a business out of it. But even if you buy one luxury home and you're in the right market, you can enjoy it. And when you're not there, you can basically rent it out and use it as a source of income, which is interesting because it reminds me of one idea that I, you know, read about, you know, instead of buying a car, financing your car, you can use a down payment, the same amount of money you thought to buy the car for cash, put it on a down payment on the house, then you rent it out and the rent can be used to pay the monthly, basically payments so, you know, you can use basically the same amount instead of just putting it in, in a car, you put it in a house and this money can pay for the car. So it kind of reminds me of that strategy. So that's interesting. So that's definitely a way to use luxury real estate as a way to build generational wealth and to build income that keeps feeding your family and securing their future. I want to kind of switch gears and talk a little bit about strategy, about financing strategy for ultra luxury homes. What are kind of the common strategies that you've seen your clients use when they were, you know, planning on financing luxury homes? Obviously nobody's paying or very few are paying cash, at least in the long term. It doesn't make much sense to pay cash for homes. And I know that Dave Ramsey keeps saying not to take debt, but I, I cannot disagree more. I think debt is how you create wealth if you use it right. And I'm not talking about taking debt to buy luxury goods when you cannot pay your bills, but what are some common, you know, finance and strategies that you've seen your your clients use over the years? So one of the things I've noticed is that people that can take advantage of cheap money, a lot of my clients are not paying principal. They're taking interest only vehicles only. It's a way of you know getting into the property. You know things do change. Seven one ten one arms very popular right now. Very cheap money, still around three percent. Borrow a million dollars, twenty five hundred dollars a month. Borrow ten million dollars, twenty five thousand a month. It's the offset. So mm-hmm. uh, I would say today though, fifty percent of our clients are paying cash, and the other fifty percent of our clients are taking financing. But again, the money's cheap. You can only write off a certain amount of that financing, unfortunately, but it is a write-off. So that's number one. And depending upon what you do for a living and how good you are with managing your money, I mean, my finance guys, there's no way in the world that they're paying all cash because you know when they can get 3% money and make 15% money with their cash, why in yeah. the world would they lay out the $10 million in Palm Beach when they can finance it and bring in $150,000 a year? You know, or one point five million dollars a year on, on a ten million dollar investment. So, so I really, I think it's a mixed bag. I think it depends on who you are. But listen, Jay Z and Beyonce bought a home right behind the house I sold at nine twenty four Bel Air Road about three years ago 
for $88 million on Cuesta in Bel Air. And they took 50% mortgage, $44 million mortgage, Jay-Z and Beyonce. Did they have the cash? Yeah, they had the cash. But they're earners, right? I mean, these aren't people who are just, you know, have sitting on inheritance. They're earners. These are guys together are earning probably north of $100 million a year with their music. So I think it also depends on who you are and if you're still earning or not. If you're earning, then, you know, taking a mortgage makes sense. If you're just sitting on a pile of cash, you know, maybe it's just pay for it and have no overhead, no expenses, pay your real estate taxes and whatever it takes to care of, you know, your maintenance on the house. Interesting. It's definitely a higher percentage of what I originally thought that would pay for, you know, pay cash for a house. I think, you know, the way that I see it, if you pay cash for a house, it's only to be the winning bid so you can close, oh, no. so, you can close so quickly. The, and then, yeah. And then refinance, take your money out. Yeah. But I, what yeah. I do think happens most of the time, at least in my markets, that you have to go no mortgage contingency. You have to go in with your cash sure. bid. It's not subject to a mortgage, but yeah. at the end of the day, I will say that everybody that goes in and says, okay, this deal is you know, not subject to mortgage, there will be no mortgage contingency, ends up taking a mortgage anyway, but they're putting their good faith deposit at risk, knowing that they can get financed. I bought and sold yeah. 13 houses over the last 20 years, financed every single one of them, but yet still like new going in with my 10% deposit that I could finance it. Right. And that's the way you get the house, right? Like you said, yeah. you don't get overbid, right? Even though, as long as you know what you're capable of doing, then go in all cash. And if you want to finance, finance. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to kind of sum the discussion up with, you know, with what you've just said, because it is a very competitive market across the board if it's multifamily or, you know, single family homes or luxury single family homes. If your offer has some contingency related to financing, you're not in the best position to win the deal. And you always wave it. You say there's no financing contingency and you need to take the risk that if you can't finance it, then you will have to come up with the cash and deal with it later. And many, many buyers, you know, that's what they do. They put cash to have a quick close. You know, you can, they can close in 14 days and then they'll deal with the financing after after everything is all done. Well, Sean, that was really interesting. I really appreciate your you know, fresh perspective on luxury homes. And we have arrived to the last part of our discussion today, which I call lightning round questions. Five quick questions that I ask all my guests. The first one is besides buying and selling luxury homes, What's your favorite hobby? I have to say golf is my favorite hobby. Yeah. And it's just a decompression chamber for me to be out, to breathe fresh air. Mm -hmm. You know, topography is beautiful when you're on the right golf course, especially where you live in California. There's nothing better. So hobby-wise, I put golf at the top of the list. And it's, it's great because you compete against yourself. <laughs> All right. Next question is, what's the one thing that people don't know about you? Great question. That I don't sleep at night. I'm uh, oh, nocturnal, basically. Two hours a night is all I need. And I'm putting in a 20-hour day because I love what I do. Wow. And I can't shut down. And so that's the bottom line. It's sad, to be honest. But it is what it is. So I don't really wow. sleep much. All right. What do you wish you had known when you just started buying real estate? 
buy, fix and flip is the best because if you understand what the customer wants, I was in the trenches. I was a real estate agent working at Douglas Elliman and I would do open houses weekend after weekend and had a big team and we really got to know the inventory and we knew what our customers wanted. So buy, fix and flip was amazing. We took advantage of short term money when we saw a house that was undervalued We'd go in kitchens, bathrooms, flooring, roofing, windows, whatever, almost like flip and flop, you know, we just did it at a higher level and it was great. It's just a great business to be in, especially if you know who your customer is. And we would normally have a customer lined up before we even went to closing. That's great. And, you know, I read recently in Los Angeles that, I mean, they're trying to control the real estate prices that are just insane. And there talks about an addition 25% tax on flippers. So if you bought a house and you're selling it less than I think three years, then you're paying an extra 25% tax. So oh, three, it's going to be three years right now. It's two years. So right so, now you get yeah. only capital gains right now. If you yeah. keep it for two years. Yeah. But then so there's an additional one that from what I've read that if it's three years, then you get an additional 25%. They're trying to control the fix, you know, fix wow. and flip. And again, I don't know. I haven't had, you know, I haven't really looked into it very closely because it's not my business, but it's too bad yeah. because that's a fun business to be in. Oh yeah. There's a lot of reward in that. There's risk and there's reward because to me, like there's something about making something that's really ugly into something really beautiful. And that's what buy, fix and flip is. And there's a lot mm -hmm. of satisfaction in that. It's too bad they've been taking that away, especially in California. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So Sean, what's your advice for leaving an extraordinary life? What's my advice? And I do enjoy life so much. And I've got the greatest family on the planet. Two sons that I'm ultra proud of, both ultra successful. One is 28, one is 31, and they just knock it out of the park. What do they do? One is in real estate with me. He's right now where I should be, and I'm on the call with you, but he's handling it, and then I'm on my way there. And we have some developments that we broker for big developers, and he's on site right now on a Friday afternoon in New York at practically six o'clock. And this customer is so valuable to the firm where I'm gonna head over there next. The advice though to living a great life is smelling the roses, right? So here was the sneak peek. I mean, again, seven days a week, 20 hour days, but I took out of this office at 4.15 New York time, played nine holes of golf, got back here, and I'm sitting here in my media room in my Gold Coast office talking to you. So even if it's like an hour and a half and it's nine holes, you got to smell the roses. And when someone asks you to do something in this life and they say, hey, come with me on vacation or you know what? I'm inviting you on my yacht for the day or like meet me in Monaco. Like we'll go to the odd show or the Grand Prix or whatever it is. Like, I don't care what it is. Go to the beach for the day, right? Go to the park with always say yes. You know, I practice that. Mm. Like life is short. This is not a dress rehearsal. I mean, you know, we only go around once. So I kind of say live it all. Work hard, all. play hard, live hard. Wonderful. I love it. All right, Sean, I really appreciate you coming on the show and spending some time with me talking about luxury real estate. If one of our listeners want to reach out to you and talk about investing or buying luxury homes, where can they find you? So you just go to SeanElliott.com. It's S-H-A-W-N-E-L-L-I-O-T-T.com or BlackBookRE.com. We didn't talk about that. I, I have what I consider the best black book of wealth 
in the world. And I'm proud of that. Or ElliotTeamGlobal.com. Go to any of them and they'll go to my website and there's plenty of contact information and lots of content, lots of media. But the other thing I have to say about this business or any business that you're in is that try your best to be in something that you love to do because then it's certainly not work. And everybody uses that cliche, but it's really true. And you know, I just love every minute of every day. And I love the good times and the bad times. And let me tell you something, anybody who tells you that didn't have bad times and I'm going to curse on your podcast is full of shit. It's true. <laughs> you know, everybody's had their ups and downs and the ones that say they don't yeah. are lying. And, yeah. and you got to enjoy them all. It's all about the journey. Nothing bad lasts forever and nothing good lasts forever. That's so very true. That's so very true. All right, Sean, thank you so much again for your time. It's been a blast. I really enjoyed our conversation. So much fun. So nice to meet you and have a great weekend. Thank you. And that's it for today, guys. If you'd like to speak with my team about investing, you know what to do. Go to bluelake-capital.com. Until then, be bold, guys. Be great and create your own kind of extraordinary life. And I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.